0: 18-
1: This is Football Social Daily. Daily, Daily. I don't think a Premier League game will ever finish with a score of 13-7 but that was the score yesterday as the votes are in on changing the top flight's loan rules and the verdict is that Premier League clubs will be allowed to continue to loan players from sides under the same ownership. Simply put, Newcastle will be allowed to loan players in January who are also owned by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Basically, a large chunk of the Saudi Pro League and all of their top class players. Manchester City will still be allowed to trade with other City football group clubs. You get the gist. There are loads of teams involved in this. This has been happening for ages, but why now, with Newcastle's newfound wealth, are Premier League clubs conscious of the consequences? We'll get into the nuts and bolts of that shortly on today's show, as well as looking at the latest with Everton's 10-point deduction. The Toffees have appealed as they claim the punishment isn't fair but is it also unfair that any potential case against Everton brought by relegated clubs like Leicester, Leeds or Burnley will be heard by the very same commission that dished out the 10-point penalty in the first place? Lots to go out on today's Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast and because it's something dodgy to do with Newcastle on today's show,
2: Marley's done a runner today so it's just me and Joel with you. How you doing, mate? Honestly, am I the only mainstay at the moment? I feel like at some point <laughs> viewers are going to tune into FSD and there's just going to be nobody there at one day. <laughs> it'd just be you on your own. Yeah, just it'd be me right, like, <laughs> guys, and maybe the host, i ask myself some questions as well, talk to a mirror for the day. Uh, but yeah, there's always one or two. It's that time of year where everyone needs to take their annual leave and go and do the miscellaneous stuff around the house, shall we say. Didn't fancy hosting today then, Joel? I grew into the role a little bit, but it you was just, your toe in the water. I just couldn't start correcting myself. Viewers will never even <laughs> see this, but I had to edit it so much where I'd be like, got, okay, let me start again. Got, and then just every time, it's just so irritating. I think it's practice makes it perfect, isn't it? But I do prefer to be on this side of the, this side of the window sometimes anyway.
1: <laughs> Sticking to punditry rather than presenting. Yeah, Marley's off today. Of course, he's got a little baby on the way. We've... Nickname that child baby Shola we Shola don't actually Marley. know what it's going to be called yet <laughs> but after Shola Amiobi the Newcastle legend and it is quite ironic that Marley's away preparing himself for his new arrival today when there is plenty of Newcastle chat On the podcast, don't forget you can join in the conversation beyond the confines of this show in our Telegram group, which you can find the link to in the description of this podcast. But first, though, let's get our heads around this ruling which came yesterday. The Premier League clubs all sat down, all 20 of them, and voted on whether the loan rules in the division should be changed. Now, as you can imagine, modern football, there's a lot of money thrown around and there are a lot of teams in the Premier League which have associations with or their owners also have control of another club, almost always overseas, whether that's in Europe or South America or somewhere like that. The clearest example would be Manchester City, who, of course have the City Football Group, that's who own Manchester City, who are in turn owned by the Emiratis. Now, City Football Group have New York City, Melbourne City, Girona in La Liga and a few other teams as well. But the big debate, Joel, comes with Newcastle United, who, of course, are owned by the Saudi Public Investment Fund and only in the last couple of years have come into immense wealth. The Saudis, of course, have pumped a lot of money into their own domestic league, the Saudi Pro League. And the same people that own Newcastle United also own four of the big Saudi Arabian sides, Al-Nasser, al Hilal, Al-Akhli and Al-Itihad. Now, if you think of some of the players that those Saudi-owned clubs have on their books at the moment, Cristiano Ronaldo, Roberto Firmino, Sadio Mane, Riyad Mahrez, but the one that's caused a bit of a stir is former Wolverhampton Wanderers midfielder Ruben Neves, who's been linked with a loan move in January to Newcastle United. Now, Marley mentioned this briefly a couple of podcasts ago, but the Premier League clubs have voted 13 to 7. So you need 14 votes for it to be considered a majority for clubs to continue to be allowed to loan players from sides that their owners also own as well. Now, hopefully that makes a bit of sense. But basically, they don't want the rules to change.
2: It's, it's such a funny scenario. I mean, when you look at the clubs that have actually voted against this, and then you look into why they have voted against this... It's very clear how much of a huge divide there is between the clubs because their owners
1: don't own any of the clubs, basically. (laughs) Literally,
2: (laughs) so you had Manchester United, Liverpool. Their owners don't own anyone else in European football or in world football, unless you go to American football, which again, that's not a conflict of interest. But then you go to the clubs who did vote against it. Obviously, you mentioned Newcastle and Manchester City. They own the likes of Melbourne City. You know, you mentioned them all. Then you got Crystal Palace, who are one of five clubs, including French club Lyon, who are owned by the Eagle football holdings you've got Chelsea and Todd Bowley's group who obviously own a few clubs so clearly they're all there 13 the... of
1: them the vote was 13-7 and 13 of those Premier League teams voted in that way almost certainly because it's in their own interests to do so and to continue to keep that connection between the teams that they own
2: yeah it's a, of course it is they're all out for the, themselves and it's just so laughable and I'm sure a lot of people will start to think well why is this only suddenly come to vote now because Manchester City have owned clubs for a long time now. New York City is a pretty well-established club in New York. That was in 2015, 2013. I'm sure it's the time when Andrea Pirlo went there just after he retired. Yeah, so it's, it's been around. It was never an issue because they couldn't gain such a competitive advantage. I think this Saudi rise has just been such a huge loophole that I think clubs are wondering we need to stop this somehow because the competitive advantage Newcastle could gain from this is enormous. That's the only reason why it's come around now, isn't it?
1: I said in the intro why when this has been happening for ages, owners of Premier League sides also own a number of other clubs. You mentioned Man City, you even mentioned Crystal Palace. And there are loads of examples throughout the Premier League. But I think the reason why this is happening now is because of the Newcastle United-Saudi Arabia link. And I think that that's much the frustration of Newcastle fans because they feel like they're being ganged up on. But I think the way that the situation is different is Manchester City are the biggest club in the City football group. And it's more than likely that they'll be loaning their young players to football clubs overseas, like New York City, for example. It seems unlikely that Newcastle United will be sending any of their players to Saudi Arabia. Of course, there was Alain saint Maximan, which was a bit of a storm in a teacup in itself when that transfer went down over the summer. But I guess it's more likely that Premier League clubs will send their players on loan away rather than bringing players in on loan. Newcastle, though, have a decent pool of players to pick from because the Saudi Public Investment Fund have ploughed a load of money into the league and managed to buy players like Ronaldo and Mahrez, Newcastle United could quite simply go and loan Riyad Mahrez. I don't think they will. I don't think it will happen. But that's a possibility. And actually the pool of players that Newcastle have to choose from is of a better standard. And I think that's why this vote was brought forward, because I think there were concerns about it.
2: Yeah, it's pretty much an exclusive market when you think about it because no other club in the world, I mean, you look at PSG's owners, Al-Khalafi, Qatar's not got the most esteemed league. I mean, it's not going to the depths that Saudi are going to to bring in all of these players, but Newcastle have a very unique competitive advantage now, which is the fact that the Saudi government has a huge mandate to pretty much boost Football in their country, and it just so happens that their owners are part of the government that actually does that. So it's no surprise to me that this has come around, but it's also no surprise to me as well that the clubs who all have influences in other clubs have also voted against it. I mean, it wasn't just this that they voted for, they also voted against tougher rules with associations to sponsorship. So you look at the Manchester City case that's going on at the moment, a large factor in that is inflated sponsorship deals with companies that are pretty questionable in terms of their revenues and if they are actually an established company in itself that's a massive issue i think that's probably more of an issue than these transfers to be honest but again they voted against it because it's not in the it's not in the interest of any club whatsoever and that's why i feel like in football now when i read all of the when i read the report of just what had been voted for and against football has got so many loopholes now And I'm just wondering, how do we actually close this? Or is it a case of, because it's so wide open and because they've let in governments buy football clubs, is this the point of no return now? I think that went long ago. I think the point of
1: no return was long in the past. It's well over our shoulders now. I think that you're talking years and years ago. I think when you look at football as a business, which we've said a few times on this show over the last few weeks, football's become a monster unto itself people are going to look after themselves. They're going to look after their own business interests. And you mentioned the sponsorship vote there that also happened in the same meeting with all 20 clubs yesterday. There was also discussions over whether to improve the package of trickle-down revenue for football league clubs, which obviously benefits me as a supporter of a League One team. The clubs couldn't agree on a £900 million package to help money trickle down the pyramid and support those clubs that basically make up the foundation the roots of our football pyramid which we're all so proud of but that doesn't surprise me either the gap in quality between the championship and the premier league if that gets larger and larger every season because the premier league clubs are hoarding all of the cash and aren't prepared to share the wealth down the pyramid it's going to be detrimental to the premier league product
2: yeah exactly that and i think we're already seeing a massive drift In the Premier League now, I mean, we spoke to Mike from the Unholy Trinity podcast with Everton in our last episode about Everton's situation with their 10-point deduction. And he said a pretty potent point, which is that it's becoming a bit of a seven-man league. And I know in the past, it's always been the same top four. But in essence, I don't really think it has been because you've always had those kind of breakaways from mid-table, whether it has been Leicester City, whether it has been Brighton. Um, The ones who are really well-run, but I know me and Marley talked about it at length where to break into that top four and become an established top four club, that's going to take decades because you need to consistently have the financial power to pump into it. That's why Newcastle will become one of those clubs because they have the financial backing for forever. They have infinity funds to basically play with. I know they're restricted with FFP, but they will get around that eventually once their revenues start bumping up. And again, that's why I say the sponsorship situation is absolutely ridiculous because that's one way to artificially improve your revenues by getting higher sponsorship deals because it's organic. So in that essence, that's why I really disagree with it. I mean, you look in Germany and in uh, Austria where you've got Red Bull Salzburg and RB Leipzig That is a strange situation in itself. That's been going on for a long time now, and UEFA had to step in and make sure that they didn't have decisive influence on each other. They had to change the commercial aspects, their sponsorships, to make sure that they had no direct influence. They're basically acting as individual entities on each other, yet we saw Sesco leave last summer from Salzburg to Leipzig. On what planet should that be allowed to happen? It's it's almost insider trading. If we look at the stock market, People in government still buy stock from companies that they know are about to go down or go up. That is, in essence, literally what is happening here, where clubs have got an advantage to pretty much raise their stock because they have excess funds on an offshore account, which is pretty much what Newcastle have at the moment. And that's why it has come around. And I'm starting to become a bit disillusioned by the way football's going at the moment because there's just so many damn loopholes. And the Premier League are so desperate not to displease these new power players because let's not forget the Premier League approved the Saudi takeover and there's been news that the Athletic have gained some kind of emails about the actual goings about of what happened during the Premier League and the Saudi takeover and I think more will unfold from that. So what do you do? Is it a case of just let the cats out the bag or is it a case of getting a regulator in which we know it's not going to happen?
1: But these clubs are not going to shoot themselves in the foot though, are they? they're not going to do what's for the greater good. I mean, this is a competitive environment after all. It's elite
2: sport. It's a doggy-dog world, yeah.
1: As much as I'm probably naive to think, oh, it's a shame the Premier League clubs haven't voted to help Football League clubs out a little bit more. Why should they care, I guess, is the argument. And I heard this argument during COVID as well. Why should Premier League clubs or other clubs care about certain teams not being able to afford to stay afloat
2: because they've lost income during COVID? You know, you mentioned the COVID period there. Just thinking back now, that, that was a massively disappointing period for football because I thought it would have been a bit of a turning point where we saw stadiums empty for the first time ever, pretty much, in our history in football, mm. unless you're a Manchester City fan. And, <laughs> and I thought that they realised fans literally are the heartblood of the game. Yeah, they realised that saw- for about six
1: months, so and then they went back yeah, to their just, normal yeah, ways. Yeah, exactly.
2: It was only a small little recency bias of, oh my God, our revenues are going down, our sponsorships are falling because we've not got the match day revenues coming in, and all the players were talking about, oh, we all miss the fans because they make the atmosphere. And then what did they go and do? They charged people £15 a game to watch it on TV, which nobody was buying, then allow people into the stadiums and then create a Super League, because they were scared stiff of losing any more revenues and they had to make it up somehow. So we, they revealed their true cards, which is like you just said, they're only in it for their own interests. The fans are literally a byproduct now of football. I feel like they are in the belief that without fans going to the stadium, they would survive because they've got overseas people who can pay good amounts to actually watch it overseas. And that's my true which belief. Which is
1: different in the Football League where there aren't enough for- you rely overseas rely on fans. the
2: people going to the games, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I I totally hear what you're saying. And actually, I mean, some of the arguments thinking back now, because what are we coming up to four years nearly since coronavirus swept through the world? Clubs putting their players on the furlough scheme. And (laughs) that's not what I pay my taxes for, not to pay professional footballers. So I'm pretty glad that that was U-turned very quickly. Um And I think it was quite cheeky and audacious of some Premier League clubs to to take advantage of that furlough scheme, to be honest, when there is so much money floating around in the game. But just finally then on this, before we move on and talk about Everton in a second, the clubs have voted against this ruling about changing the loan rules. Do you think we will see any clear examples of that coming to fruition? And when I say of that, what I mean is, if Newcastle loan Ruben Neves, for example, in the January window... Is it really that big of a deal? Or is this something that maybe needs to be kept an eye on and looked at in the future, do you think?
2: I do think it's an issue, but clearly not a big enough issue because there's too many clubs with their own interests. That's why it's got voted against. But in my opinion, for Newcastle to pretty much have access to a whole roster and if they ever need to get rid of a player, they have a sovereign fund ready to then purchase a player, then of course it's an issue. It's pretty much anti-competition. I don't think anything will happen in January because I think the people who own Newcastle are very wary of public opinion and they're very wary of the outcry if Newcastle are to get Ruben Neves or are to get Riyad Mahrez. So I feel like they'll want to ward off the scent for quite a significant amount of time. But it will come around. There will be a point where We're seeing a lot of foreign players going over and there's already talk after six months of wanting to come back to Europe for a few months and play in the league again. It will happen at some point. But again, how do you stop it? I mean, even at my own club, Manchester United, you've got Jim Ratcliffe coming in, whose group owns Nice. And we've been linked with Todibo, their centre-back. And then you'd have to ask me, is that a conflict of interest? Because they both own both groups or Jim Ratcliffe owns part of Manchester United to be and he owns Nice. So is that a conflict of interest? So it's a massive, massive bag of worms, which I don't think can be regulated anymore because there's too many clubs who will abstain from it because they are not part of that other group of teams who are not benefiting from it. And that's the issue we have. All
1: right. Well, that's it for this part of today's Football Social Daily. Next up, we're going to talk about Everton. We did a special podcast on Everton on Monday where Mike from the Unholy Trinity Everton podcast came on and really defended his club passionately and you can hear that episode as well as our take on their 10-point deduction for breaking premier league profit and sustainability guidelines on monday's episode by scrolling back in the timeline to find it next so we are going to discuss more about that 10-point deduction we'll talk about it next
0: 18 plus
1: welcome back this is football social daily an award-winning premier league podcast i'm nile just me and joel today marley's away doing some
2: i think he said he's building a cot joel marley building a cot he'll look like a bloody i don't even know what he'll look like it's definitely not going to be proportionate anyway i don't know why but
1: i i imagine he can build stuff but i can't imagine him with his overalls on with a hammer in hand trying to like a little carpenter nail some wood together (laughs) I'm sure he's doing a good job, though. Maybe he's listening to the podcast whilst his. Be- good luck with the cot, Marley. Good luck, mate. <laughs> now, though, we're going to talk about Everton, because on Monday we had a long discussion about their 10-point deduction. I think this is the biggest Premier League news of the season. It's the first time we've seen a points deduction of any kind since 2010 and that was for when Portsmouth went into administration. This is for something also financially related for Everton. They spent £19.5 million too much over a three-year period. They were above the allowed threshold of £105 million, and as such, an independent commission found them guilty of breaching the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules, docking them 10 points from their current total. That leaves them on four points, And in the relegation zone, all of the ins and outs of that situation on Monday's episode of the podcast. So scroll back and find it to listen, including the thoughts of an Evertonian on the situation. But Joel, just to bring people a bit of an update today, Everton are expected to appeal this decision. They've got two weeks from the ruling date, which was Friday, to lodge an appeal. I'm sure they're still going through a few bits and pieces now before they do lodge that appeal, but we're expecting it to come. So we mentioned that clubs like Leicester and Leeds could claim potentially that they are affected by Everton's overspending. The same independent commission that docked Everton the 10 points will be the ones to oversee the hearing if those clubs decide to sue Everton. Is it fair that it's the same commission that then hears that case? Or do you think there should be a new board put together?
2: Yeah, it's very, very strange. And I know Everton fans for sure will have massive grievances about that. I think one of the biggest issues coming from this is how long is the appeal process going to take? Because we saw it in Italy with Juventus where they initially had a 15-point deduction and then two weeks before the season ended, it pretty much got overturned and suddenly they were back in the race for top four. I know Jose Mourinho had really strong remarks to say about how they've suddenly overturned it just when it looked like Roma were about to get Champions League football. So you would, you would hope that, and obviously there's no timeline on how long an appeal process can take, but let's say this goes to the final 10 games of the season. It takes us to March and they've come out with a decision that they're going to overturn the whole 10 points. Imagine the inf- influence and the impact that's going to have on the teams around them who genuinely believe that they have a chance to stay up. And then suddenly it's snatched away from them and their approach is completely changed because they've literally got no hope in chance or they actually do if it actually gets maintained. That's why it needs to come to a conclusion quite quickly. And I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen unless they are very, very firm in their decision.
1: I mean, I don't know whether this is normal or not for it to be the same commission to dock the points to hear a potential court case between clubs that are looking to sue. But also, I do think it's weird that Everton have had that points deduction immediately. You can't just go, ah, have your points back or have a few points back it's just silly it just gets out of hand
2: that's why you would think and you would hope that rather than just abruptly giving the points deduction they would actually tell everton maybe confidentially that based on the information we have you're going to get a 10 point deduction so do you want to appeal and then at the end of the whole process then they pretty much give out the actual deduction but like i say that juventus one is just a great example of how It can be overturned very, very quickly and it can have a massive impact and reverberations on the teams around you and that's the only kind of issue I would have. I think a lot of clubs around Everton at the moment will be quite nervous in going into the final stages because this isn't going to be a two-week case that's pretty much concluded. This might take months of maybe new evidence coming to light and new people getting involved in the situation. So it's going to be interesting how it unfolds, but I think the best case scenario for Everton, because I do think they do deserve to be punished, but not to that extent, would be either a suspended points deduction or a minimal points deduction or a fine. But then if you give them a fine, then isn't that going to just carry on into next season where they're going to be in the same situation again with more losses and more... Uh, financial worries so it's a bit of a strange situation to adjust I think
1: well one of the local MPs in Liverpool has taken Everton's point deduction to Parliament (laughs) he's actually (laughs) taken it to the government and said is this fair because that is one of the big arguments whether that is fair or not And as I mentioned on Monday's podcast, we did a really good rundown with Mike from the Unholy Trinity, sharing his opinion on what we think about the Everton situation as neutrals. I think it's a really difficult one, to be honest with you, because as Mike himself admitted, and many Evertonians will, and even Everton did themselves, they did breach the rules. But 10 points just seems monstrous in terms of a punishment. And you just wonder what is next. And I feel like there are more twists and turns to come this season, Joel, to be honest. I don't just mean financially. I just mean generally. It feels like every couple of weeks we've had some sort of scandal or piece of big breaking news that sent shockwaves through the Premier League. It's just all sorts of stuff going on. It. I just want this season feels quite turbulent so far.
2: This goes to the saying with great power comes great responsibility and it feels like the Premier League just don't know how to manage all of this now because they have a lot of power in their hands and a lot of responsibility in their hands to actually make the rules, make the boundaries for these clubs and you're right, it feels like if it's not VAR causing a load of nonsense on the pitch, it's owners overseas and it's owners and other countries getting involved in football and dipping their hands in the pies and creating new rules and loopholes. It just feels like football's entering a new era. When you compare it to the last 10 years, it felt quite stable. Apart from the massive... FIFA scandal and the corruption that went on there that felt like the only thing that was happening in football but I feel like that was just the that was just like the one domino that started everything off so
1: we know that there's a connection between the media and football clubs and I think that that's normal to be honest with you but the fact that everything is sort of coming to the surface now like the FIFA scandal for example Even in the summer, you know, the Saudi league, that was quite controversial with the way that they were spending lots of money and buying players. The Saudi takeover of Newcastle had its controversies. It just feels like the Premier League, as you mentioned, hasn't been stable for some time. And obviously it adds to the drama and the entertainment, but also it's quite draining at times as well to be talking about this scandal, that scandal, this issue, that issue.
2: I think it goes back to the point you made at the start where I said, is the cat out of the bag when it comes to all of these state ownerships and that kind of thing. It goes back to when the Premier League became the Premier League because the main premise of that was to extract as much financial gain as they can, make it the best product in the world and money was probably at the centre of it. But I think they got so carried away with trying to generate that. I mean, you look at Manchester United and the Glazers and how they actually funded that bid. That would not be allowed now, which therefore proves that they were almost, they were walking before they could crawl in terms of what the actual Premier League was. I think they didn't realise what kind of beast they were creating. It's like when Hulk was in the in the, uh, in the the lab and they were thinking, what on earth have we created here? <laughs> and they're only just realising now. We're getting countries having an influence on our football game. How on earth has that happened? It's insane to me. They're having a direct influence on English football. Not even English football, European football as a, as a whole. I mean... It is dangerous territory now and that's why it's important to have some kind of regulatory system which prevents football falling out of control. Where we're seeing it in the real world where you're having the oil and gas companies pretty much controlling governments we don't want countries controlling football or stakeholders with high power and influence pretty much taking control from it, you know what is baffling to me when i talk about it like this football in essence is just a working man's game where they literally were the hub of the community how on earth has it just gotten to this Kind of, but
1: it still can be. It it still can be. It still can because you'll still get those magical moments.
2: And then when you obviously when you're in an international break, everything just becomes times ten anyway. When the football is back and no one really wants to pay too much mind to it, but from what's going on behind the scenes at the moment, I think this is going to be the start of a major crackdown when it comes to clubs and their finances because we're already seeing now, like I mentioned earlier, about the Athletic looking into. Emails of how the Saudi takeover happened with Newcastle. We saw it back in, I think, 2012 when Seth Blatter was in charge of FIFA. That was a big one. Because if you're going to have a governing body of your football as a whole being an admitting to corruption, you've got a massive, massive problem. When you've got Michel Platini and Seth Blatter having to leave the or leave the literal power that controls football because of corruption and bribery, you've got such an issue and that for me is just in itself summing up what football is at the moment where there's just too many people with too many interest in their own self-interest how do you stop it I mean it's going to take a good crackdown like we are see now from It's the a Premier good League. point
1: really when <laughs> the literal head of FIFA is corrupt what <laughs> sort of example does that say for the rest I know, of the Lead world. by
2: example, eh? <laughs> Christ.
1: <laughs> right, that's it for Football Social Daily today. Nice, intelligent conversation on the podcast about the loan rules in the Premier League and, of course, Everton's potential court case if other clubs that were relegated from the Premier League in those three years that they overspent do decide to sue them. I'm sure this won't be the last that we talk about both of those things on Football Social Daily. But if you do like the podcast and you want to join us every single time a new episode is released, the best thing to do is hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform and that way you won't miss an episode. You'll be notified when a new one is released. Marley's off building his cot for the rest of the day so me and Joel are going to turn it in for now. That's it for Football Social Daily. We'll catch you next time. See you then. Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sport Social Podcast Network.